the title of my message is Living by Faith in the Midst of Crisis. Uh, and if you didn't know this, we are in a worldwide crisis right now. I, I'm sure you know that. You're feeling that if you're watching online. Um, you know, you're experiencing that wherever you're at right now. But yet we as believers need to live in breakthrough and faith and trust in the Lord as all of these things are taking place around us. I want you to know that we are not the first people. We are not the first Christians to ever live in crisis in the history of mankind. But it is our moment, my friends. It is our time. And as we experience this, the Lord is wanting us to go through these times and through these difficulties in victory and in faith. And please know that as I say those words, I'm not trying to make to uh, say that this is not a serious matter because it is. I have friends that have died of COVID. I've got people that have been greatly affected by it. Right now I'm praying as I'm about to get a fifth grandchild saying, Lord, man, this thing is real and it's serious and, you know, protect that little one as, uh, as that baby is born into this world. And yet the scriptures offer us hope and strength today. And I want to read you a story from Acts chapter 12. And it is the church in crisis. It is the church in crisis. And it is what the church did by faith to respond to the crisis. And I want you to know today I'm going to talk about living by faith. And I'm going to give you four things that we need to do while living by faith. And I'm going to read to you from Acts chapter 12. And it's a long story, but I'm going to read it anyway because the word of God is good for us, right? So even if you didn't read the Bible this morning because you were late for church, you got up late, you're going to get your daily Bible reading today. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 12, verse 1 says this. About the time King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church, he had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel. But all the time, he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and the second guard posts and came to the iron gate leading to the city. And this opened for them all by itself. 
So they passed through and started walking down the street. Then the angel suddenly left him. Finally, Peter came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders planned to do to me. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter is standing at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. When she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. He motioned for them to quiet down and told them how the Lord had led him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers what happened, he said. And then he went to another place. At dawn, there was a great commotion among the soldiers about what had happened to Peter. Herod Agrippa ordered a thorough search for him. When he couldn't be found, Herod interrogated the guards and sentenced them to death. Afterward, Herod left Judea to stay in Caesarea for a while. May God add his blessing to the word this morning. So I've laid out for you a story in the Bible. Maybe many of you have read this story before. Um, I, I don't know what your thoughts are on this particular story, but I want you to know that this story teaches us some lessons about living by faith in the midst of a crisis. And the first thing I want you to know about this story is that, is that living by faith is full of the unexpected. Living by faith is full of the unexpected. How many of us could have predicted what would happen with COVID-19? By now, many of us said this, we would be well past it by now, right? I don't know about you, but I'm afraid to say when this thing is going to end. I wish I, I could tell you I know exactly when that's going to happen, but I don't. But in this story, the church is going along. They're planning the church. People are getting saved. Miracles are happening. And suddenly, the apostle, James, is captured by this king, and he is put in prison. And then the Bible says he was killed by the sword. But what it means is his head was chopped off. Now, I don't know if you realize how big this is. When Jesus walked on the earth, his three like favorite apostles were Peter, James, and John in that order. That means in some ways, his second favorite apostle, James, was now murdered in cold blood in the early church. I'm telling you, the crisis that arose from that was of epic proportions. It was unexpected. And not only was James killed by the sword, but then they said, this is so good. We're grabbing Peter. We're putting him in prison. And now he will stand trial in the same way that James stood trial. 
I want you to know that things were not going well in the early church at that time. I want you to know that if you were a Christian in society at that time, things were not going well for you. You were in hiding. You were saying, what's going to happen next? There was fear everywhere. And even though COVID seems to be something that's hitting everybody, it has given an air of what to expect next in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that living by faith is something that is full of the unexpected. And it's COVID today, but it could be something else tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen, but we do know that Jesus Christ is still the Savior of the world and the God of all creation. Living by faith is full of the unexpected. I want to ask, how are things in your personal life right at this moment? How are things going for you? What's happening in your life right now? Are you looking at what's happening and saying, so many things that I planned to do but couldn't do or was, were disrupted for one reason or another, what has that done to you? I just want to say here that God never promised us a life without trouble. And one of the reasons is because our, our life was not made for this world, my friends. And I'm going to share that a little bit later on, but I want to say that during COVID, we've had losses. In my lifetime, we've had losses. I know many of you have had losses. Peter and the early Christians were having losses, but that didn't stop them. What's happening today cannot and should not stop us from our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing I want you to know about living by faith. So the first thing is living by faith is full of the unexpected. And the second thing is that we need to stay calm while living by faith. Stay calm. Look at your neighbor and say, stay calm. And you can say it in English or Malayalam or Hindi. Go ahead. Stay calm. Well, I want you to think about Peter for a minute here. Okay. So James is killed, murdered. Peter is taken up by, you know, the, by Herod. He's put in prison. And the next morning, he's going to stand trial the same way that James did. Now, what are his chances of getting out? Well, I got a good lawyer. No, I've got the best lawyer in Jerusalem to take my case. No. He was in the last night before a death sentence. And so now he's facing an almost a sure death sentence and he's in this prison cell. And then on top of things, an angel of the Lord appears in his cell. No, the bright angel of God. Ta-da! How many of you in your bedroom would love to see the angel of the Lord show up in your bedroom, right? The bright light of an angel of God standing and, and he wants to tell Peter he's there to set him free. And what is Peter doing? How many of you snore when you sleep, right? No. Peter is fast asleep. As a matter of fact, he's sleeping so good that the Bible says the angel actually says, I'm here. And he's like, this guy's asleep. He doesn't even know that I'm here. So the angel actually has to push Peter to wake him up. Peter, wake up. How was Peter able to sleep in the face of a sure death sentence? 
I want you to know that for some reason, COVID-19 has stolen the peace of the church. And I'm here today to take it back in the name of Jesus. See, we can't surrender that. Peter didn't surrender his peace. So the the question kind of came to my mind. So how was it that he was able to stay so peaceful, right? So I'm going to read a little bit into the story. It doesn't say, but I'm going to guess, all right? Number one, Peter knew he belonged to God and that God had a good plan, right? No, why was he able to sleep? He knew that, look, God's got a plan in this thing. He's going to send an angel. He's going to send somebody to break me out of prison. I don't know what it is, but I'm just going to go to sleep because I don't want to lose a night's sleep over something that God has in his control. What are you losing sleep over, Zion Church? Are you worried about your business? Are you worried about your family back in India? Are you worried about your family here in the United States? What are you worried about? Surrender it to the Lord because if you are a son or a daughter of the living God, he has a plan for you. He has a plan for you, and it's a good plan. I know he's got a good plan for you. Second thing that I think gave Peter peace was that he knew that his ultimate home was not here on earth. Now, culturally, I got to be a little bit careful because, you know, when I was in Indonesia, I understood culture, and Indonesians were always like, don't ever talk about dying, Pastor Jeff. No, we don't know. You know, matter of fact, you know, there were some of my Indonesian friends that were afraid to go to the mourning of somebody who died because they were just too afraid. They didn't want to get near it. Well, Peter, we won't talk about you or me, but Peter, he knew that even if he died, it was to be his gain. I, I, I know this is going to come as a shock to you, but... Heaven is better than Dallas, Texas. Come on, hallelujah. You can say it. We're friends. We're family. All right, that's a shocker. Here comes shocker number two. Heaven is better than India as well. What? No. Pastor Jeff, you've never been there. And it's true. I've not been to India, so I have to be a little careful here. Um, But sometimes we envision our lives as being so good and so wonderful. We forget the fact that our time here on earth is only temporary. The reason why we live in peace and not worried about what's going to happen tomorrow. And by the way, I, I mean... I take precautions, okay? I mean, I flew here this morning. I wore my mask. I ha- And I don't know if I can say this, but I've been vaccinated. So it's not like I'm anti-being careful. I got things to do for the Lord. But when he calls, I'm ready to go home. It's okay if he calls me home even now. And that will give us peace. Okay, I'm going to tell a real quick story. So I'm going to try to get all this in. I, I still, I'm, I'm doing good on my time. So I'm serving in Indonesia. And um, how many of you remember the big tsunami in 2004, right? 2004, you guys in India got hammered with it as well. But Indonesia was like the epicenter, right? Um, Of the 240,000 casualties in that tsunami, 170,000 of them were in Indonesia, all right? So Indonesia took the brunt of this thing. And, you know, this was kind of interesting. Um, 
I was recovering from typhoid. So I've had typhoid two times and this was my second bout with it and I was recovering from it. So there was a missionary retreat that was happening in the Philippines, a different country. And um, I was the only missionary in Indonesia when the tsunami hit, right? So I'm going, okay, either God is trying to take me out or use me, okay? So um, at the time I thought, okay, let's get some food together, blankets, etc. And we were able to get some, some emergency aid to, uh, to the place where the tsunami happened. And we were out distributing all this aid. So while I was there in, uh, in, in Aceh, this province there on the West coast of Sumatra, um, Indonesian I got to be careful what I say, but they didn't have a lot of assets to help save the people, all right? The tsunami wiped everything out. So the Americans sent this aircraft carrier down with all these helicopters. But, you know, it was kind of funny. So the, the Americans got all their helicopters and they started to land along the coast. And they would, these big American soldiers would jump out of the helicopter and say in English, where are the injured people? Where are the injured people? And the Achenese were saying, First, we've been destroyed by a tsunami, and now aliens are invading from outer space. No, they had never seen a helicopter. They didn't speak English, right? So the couple, first couple of days was like a disaster, you know? So I was at the airport, and one of the American commanders overheard me speaking Indonesian. So by the way, I'm fluent in Indonesian and dangerous in like two dialects, you know? So he heard me you know, speaking Indonesian, and he walks over to me, and he goes, do you speak Indonesian? And I said, yeah. Um, you know, I've been here for 15 years at the time. And he goes, son, you're working for the Navy now, okay? <laughs> and so I started to fly up and down the coast as a translator for the U.S. Navy, right? So I'm in these, I'd never flown in a helicopter in my whole life. We're, we're delivering food. We're pulling injured people out, um, you know, one of the miracles of the tsunami along the west coast of Sumatra there was that no Christians died and no churches were destroyed in the tsunami. And it's because there was not one Christian to die and not one church to be destroyed. So I'm jumping out of the helicopter and I'm like, hey, can I pray for you? And they're like, yes, pray for me. You know, so I'm praying for people along that coastline there, you know, and everything was going wonderful. And on about the 10th day of doing this work, we're flying down the coast and all of a sudden the helicopter I'm in has trouble. The engine explodes and we drop down and we're about to, to crash. And the soldier in the back said, hang on, because we're going to try to make it back to the aircraft carrier, but, you know, we're in trouble. And he's showing me how to use the little life vest that you wear, you know, and I'm going, okay, usually on the plane, I don't pay attention when they're talking about that, you know, but now I'm really paying attention to what do I need to pull and how do I need to get this thing to work, you know. But as we're heading towards that aircraft carrier going down, I thought to myself, I'm done. No, I'm going to, I'm going to die. I'm going to be with Jesus. I want you to know that even though I was afraid, the peace that I would be in the presence of God 
and that I knew Jesus as Lord and Savior was far more powerful than the fear of actually dying. I want you to know that COVID, don't let it steal your fear because our souls have a guarantee that we will live in eternity with Jesus forever. And if you're here today, if you're watching online and you've never said yes to Christ, you've never said, yes, Lord, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I want that peace. I want that promise of eternity with you. Then say yes to him in your heart. Receive him as your Lord and as your Savior, and he'll give you the peace that you need. I could tell more about that story. I survived the the crash. And here today to talk about, it wasn't really a crash, it was just a really hard landing. Thank God that the Lord was with us at that time. The third thing I need you to know about living by faith is that you need to pray earnestly while living by faith. So what happened when Peter got arrested? What happened when all the crisis was going on in the church at that time? They immediately went to prayer. If you look back up to, you know, these these verses in scripture, verse five says, but while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. And I want you to know that those words very earnestly are rarely used in the Bible. We just kind of hear it as if, oh yeah, they prayed. It was just like another prayer meeting. It was not just like another prayer meeting. They were storming the gates of heaven because of the crisis that they were in. Church, it's time that we storm the gates of heaven. I challenge you in the crisis that you're in, that you would storm the gates of heaven. And that means that we are praying with all of our heart with all of our soul, with all of our strength. And we are from the depths of our soul. As the psalmist says, as deep calls to deep, the depth of our heart will cry out to the depth of God and say, Lord, move on our behalf. And because the church prayed earnestly, there was a miracle. I wish I could say it any other way, but when the church prays very earnestly, miracles Prayer is the source of all miracles, my friends. And we can never dismiss it. You know, I I will say this. It, It is hard sometimes in the day in which we live right now because... Because we're so distracted with all of the information in our cell phones and iPads and, you know, all these things. And obviously I'm using an iPad and I have a cell phone. So I'm not saying you shouldn't have one. Don't let it control your life. So I've actually, I've been on a two week social media, like I'm not on. I just shut it off. I shut off all my, my little warnings. You got a message from so-and-so. My plan was to go back on today. I'm going to post a picture of me and, and, and pastor and his family. I want to like, you know, splash back in with something there. But I want you to know that we can't let those things and, and those distractions take us away from the focus, concentrated prayer to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you my last point because I've got a story to go along with it. And that is that somehow we need to believe that God will show up while living by faith. Um, I, by the way, I love the chorus as we sang today. Um, I love to sing from the depths of my soul. I believe in you. I believe in you. You're the God of miracles. Like, 
But I just love that simple statement. You know, I believe in you. I believe in you. And just saying that from the depths of our heart. And yet there are times where I think we don't really believe in him. It's easier to sing than it is to do. You know, this story actually is full of disbelief. No, it's full of disbelief. Think about it a minute. Even Peter, even Peter was walking with an angel and gates were opening in front of him and chains were falling off of his hands. And he said, I didn't even believe it. It was a vision. I thought it was a vision. I didn't believe. Didn't believe that God could really do it. Well, after he got free, he quickly ran to the house where they were praying for him. And he's pounding on the door. I just got out of jail. I don't even want to. Be. And, and it was a jail break, by the way. It wasn't like, you know, I got off on good behavior. No, I just broke out of prison. Let me in the door. So a servant girl named Rhoda came to the door. She was just like a maid in a house. She might have even been a slave. And poor little Rhoda comes to the door and she hears Peter's voice and she turns around and she runs into the prayer meeting where they're praying for Peter's release. And she bursts in and she says, Peter is outside the door. A miracle has happened. And what did they say? Don't bother us. We're in prayer. Hallelujah for Peter. Go away. We're praying for him. And she's like, no, he's outside. We're serious people and we're in prayer. Don't bother us. But Rhoda insisted. He's outside the door. So what did they say? Well, it must be his angel. Okay. This is like, something from that time period. People of that time period believed that everybody had a guardian angel and they looked, they were a twin to you. You didn't know you had a twin running around, right? Matter of fact, when I get in trouble with my wife now, I say, it wasn't me, it was my angel that did that, you know? So husbands, wives, you can use that, okay? You can thank me for that, by the way, later on, okay? <laughs> you know, some water spilled the other day and I just said to Liz, I said, it wasn't me, it was my angel, you know? <laughs> well, angels don't spill water, but anyway. But, but that's where they went. They went from, it's, it's not true to, well, it can't be, it must be his angel. Thank God for the insistence of a servant girl who said, no, I believe. I don't care what the world says. I don't even care what praying Christians are saying. I don't care what these leaders are saying. I'm saying, I believe that Peter has been set free and this crisis has been averted because of the power of God. She believed. One of the things that's happened under COVID is that the church has been stripped of its belief. We've been chained somehow in some way to disbelief. Maybe because we've had too many losses. Maybe because it's just been too difficult. I'll close with this story. That was the last point, but this was what I wanted to share. 
when I heard Pastor talk about, you know, the, the building project you guys are about to undertake, I felt like this was an important story to share. So while Liz and I, my wife Liz and I were pastoring in Indonesia, um, <clears throat> we moved around a lot because in a country that's not predominantly Christian, it's hard to find a place to, to meet. So we had been moving around in hotels and restaurants and different places. And so finally, we found an abandoned kind of mall. It was a mall, but it was like not in use or a big portion of it wasn't in use. And so we uh, rented nine shop houses and made the nine floors on the top like a sanctuary. And it was a great facility. And God was blessing the church and people were getting saved. Good things were happening. And it was about that time that out of those um, eight churches that my wife and I started during our 23 years, that over a hundred other churches had been birthed out of those eight. It's like grandchildren. So we as a church, I got up in front of the church and said, hey, God has blessed us and we're going to build a hundred churches for other people. I do faith crazy things, you know. So after I made that announcement, somebody came up to me and said, um, Pastor Jeff, there's two problems with your plan. Number one, because I had told him it takes about $10,000 to build a 200 seat sanctuary in like rural parts of Indonesia, which actually $10,000 to build a whole 200 seat sanctuary is pretty cheap. So I, I and then the, somebody came up to me afterwards and said, Pastor Jeff, how good are you at, are you, how good are you at mass? I said, I'm pretty good at math. And she said, well, a hundred churches times 10,000 is a million dollars. How dare you put that burden on our church? Secondly, she, she, she looked at me and she said, furthermore, you're going to build a hundred churches for other people and we don't even own our own church. That's not the way it works. You build your own first and then you help other people. So I got a lot of pushback at that moment, but decided to go forward with the plan. We started to build these other churches. And it was within two years of being in that building that the ownership of this mall came to me and said, you know, now that you're in this abandoned part of the mall, it's booming. Banks are opening, restaurants are opening. And now that property we rented to you for so cheap is worth 10 times more than what it was when we let you rent there. So we're kicking you out. So, you know, we wanted to fight it against, you know, but the owner of the mall was a very powerful man, not a Christian. And we decided as a church that before we did anything, we would take 10 days to fast and pray. Can I tell you that praying earnestly moves mountains? So, I, 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 after the 10 days were up, I went, made an appointment with the owner of the whole building. I went to him and I said, you know, we're that church you're kicking out, you know, and I realized we can't stop you from kicking us out. I said, but would it be possible that you would let us build a church on the top of the sixth floor parking garage at the mall? It's underutilized. You could let us build there thought about it a little bit and he kind of hemmed and hawed and wasn't sure. And finally he asked me to, you know, the meeting was over. So I left a week later, his architects delivered to my office blueprints for a 1000 seat sanctuary church 
with 12 Sunday school rooms, a 200-seat multi-purpose room, offices, and a lobby. Amazing miracle, right? What was even more amazing was that he built the entire thing with his own money. We didn't put out one penny. I want you to know that when we pray earnestly and we feel like we're in the midst of a crisis, that God shows up and he shows up always far bigger. We set the standard here. His standard is way up here. Let's believe for the bigger things, for the breakthrough things, for the things that you've been saying to yourself, I've been waiting my whole life for this to happen. So let's bow our heads and close in a, in a word of prayer. And I want to ask if you'd stand to your feet. Jesus, thank you. I know pastor's going to come back in a minute, but just bow your heads and close your eyes. Those of you that are watching online, maybe just take a moment right now. You're home in that easy chair. You're on that couch. Just take a moment and say, you know, I'm going to reflect on this message for a moment. And I ask you, church, whether you're here physically or online, what is your crisis right now? Is there a family member that's in the hospital? Are you struggling financially because of work? Do you have a, a family member that's far from the Lord and you would say, I really need a miracle that, as we sang before, that the prodigal would come home? Can you believe God for that? In the name of Jesus right now, I want to pray over Zion Church and its members that are both here in person and watching online, that Lord, you would break the spirit of unbelief in the name of Jesus. That Lord, for those that are not able to have peace in their heart because of fear, that the spirit of fear would be broken in the name of Jesus. That Lord, we know that you've got a good plan for our lives. We know, Lord, that our future is bound up in you, oh God, and we find peace in that. So Lord, in Jesus' name, I ask, oh God, that that spirit, Lord, that might be hovering over this church or those watching online, that we, like the servant girl, Rhoda, rise up and faith and say, no, he's alive. No, he's at the door. No, he's coming right now. No, they're healed. No, we're saved. No, they're coming back home. Lord, that we would rise up, oh Lord, and believe, oh God, that you'll dispatch your angels, that you'll dispatch your healing, oh God, that you'll dispatch your strength, oh God, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, if you're here in this room or watching online and you've got a special need, just lift up a hand right now. Just lift up a hand before the Lord as a sign of faith. It's dark enough that I'm looking out here. I don't really see. I know I see a number of hands, but God sees exactly who you are and who is saying, yes, it's me. Lord Jesus, as we close now this moment out in prayer, we stand in the unexpected, oh God. We never expected to be here, Lord. So help us in this moment of the unexpected, oh God. And I ask, Lord, for every uplifted hand here, those online, I pray that healing virtue would come in Jesus' name. 
Lord, there's a sign of faith saying, yes, it's me. I'm in my prison cell. Send your angel, oh God. Lord, I'm surrounded by 16, by four guards, by four places, Lord. I'm surrounded by the enemy. Lord, help me to sneak out in Jesus' name. Lord, give me a breakout, oh God. Give me a breakthrough, oh God. Lord, I pray that I'd walk away from this sickness in Jesus' name, that I'd leave it at the foot of the cross. Lord, that I'd break out from that financial problem and leave those at the cross. Oh God, for that wayward son or daughter or parent, aunt, uncle, brother, sister, oh God, I pray that they would this week be at the door knocking, oh God. Lord, I pray that in our, our words that we'd never say, I can't believe it's happened. Lord, I just pray that Zion Church, Lord, would be a beacon of miracles, a beacon of faith, oh God, when all others have lost belief and lost hope. Lord, I pray that you would rise up within the members of this church. Lord, and I pray that you'd use them. Lord, I pray that they would realize that their sojourn here in Dallas, Texas area is not just to make money and have a home and to have a family, but their sojourn here, Lord, is to win the loss to you, to be the voice of hope, to be the one who can pray very earnestly for a coworker, for a neighbor, for a friend they meet in a restaurant, oh God. And that Lord, in Jesus' name, the reputation and legacy of this church will be miracles, will be salvations, oh God, will be deliverance says, oh God, in the mighty and the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Lord, let your word, let this story from your word be a seed planted in our hearts, growing strong and producing much fruit. In Jesus' name.